for the employees, I think there's a realization that like, you know, my work-life balance sucks. If I have a lot of activity and I'm doing a lot of things and I don't accomplish them, then it's even worse. Cause then I feel like, wow, doing all this stuff. And like, we're not racking up the score at the end of the quarter. Like we're, we're gonna have to continue doing these things. And so through postmortems, we realized there's something here that's holding us back. And it's actually causing work-life balance issues. It's causing frustration and it's causing people to want to leave at times. That becomes then this aha moment for employees. Like, yes, if we have more impact and less activity, frankly, activity for like fewer things and do them better, then that is a ticket for us to be a better team. That's a ticket for me to actually have more control in my life. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder Nazar and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome back to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm very excited to be here with our guest, David Hanrahan. As Chief Human Resources Officer at Eventbrite, David leads the global human resources team and plays a key role in leading organizational culture initiatives. David's career has spanned more than 18 years building strong HR teams and fostering a collaborative team culture across global organizations such as Niantic, Zendesk, Twitter, Electronic Arts, and Universal Pictures. Welcome, David. Thanks, guys. Really excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great. So my understanding is you joined Eventbrite back in November of 2019 with probably no sense of what was to come in 2020. And within four months, the whole world had changed. I'm just curious to hear from you, you know, what was that journey like for you, both personally and professionally, having just joined this company and then everything shifting under your feet? Yeah, it's been a wild year. I, I celebrated my first uh, year anniversary yesterday. So I was reflecting back on that. Um, yeah, when I joined in November, very different company and events were doing well. The company was post IPO about a year, year and a half. And first couple months, first earnings result while I was there, all great. You know, we're growing, we're hiring a lot. Live events, you know, we, we were sort of hitting a nerve and started, starting to hit our stride as a public company. So then around January, I remember I was in Australia and there was these news reports out of uh, China of a virus that was starting to spread and starting to become worrisome. I'm in Australia on a flight back. I'm like, huh, this is going to be interesting. My mother passed away in February. And after that, my life was kind of starting to change. I was reflecting on like what's important in life. And my team we were thinking about 2020 and like, hey, we should get together and plan out our year and do a little team building. And now that now the the virus is starting to spread a little bit more. This is this is now end of February, I come back my mother's funeral. I'm, I'm looking forward to the future basically with with my team and kind of, you know, being part of something special. So we get together in Nashville, I remember on the flight. and, And in fact, the Sunday before I remember talking to a lot of the leaders and saying, hey, I wonder if we should cancel this because this virus is starting to spread. And this was just about when travel advisories were starting to become more serious. And you're starting to hear about companies starting to really take a lot of you know precautions. And I remember talking to my team and we said, well, let's make this optional for folks. They can stay home, you know, particularly if you're coming from overseas, um, if you'd rather stay home. 
Long story short, the whole team wound up going to Nashville. And the first night we were in the hotel room, there was an air raid siren. And the windows in the hotel room, I remember about midnight hearing these windows suck in and out, like whoosh, 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 whoosh. And basically a tornado ripped through Nashville a mile away from the hotel. And so the the next day we're supposed to have our offsite. And we instead spent the first couple hours just making sure all 300 of our employees in Nashville were safe and accounted for. And so that was the start of what, you know, was essentially a crazy year. We wound up having a really great offsite and like all our employees were safe and like we did all this team building. And then we came back and realized the whole world was changing. Live events were going to be on shutdown. You know, governments were closing down live events. And it was about maybe three weeks later, three, four weeks later, we restructured the whole company. The whole business had to change. The company's operating had to change. We essentially wound up becoming half the company we were before the pandemic. And ever since then, it's just been a wild year. You know, change management, having to think about ways to sort of keep the team engaged, you know, thinking about the future, thinking about the return of live events. We've done a lot of really great things. We wound up doing a lot of really great things and live events in very interesting ways are returning. People are using drive-in movie theaters to host comedy shows. People are doing online cooking classes and our creators are finding all these ingenious ways to actually get people together in safe, live or online or hybrid ways to sort of tap that nerve we all have, which is like, we're stuck in our homes. There's a yearning to actually have connection and interactivity And our platform is really fueling a lot of that hope for people to actually find ways to stay connected. So that's a little bit of a summary of of what the year has felt like so far. I would imagine that more than the average company, you have had to innovate your business model to actually meet the demands. And I mean, I think what's interesting is COVID is a big accelerant. You know, I think it's accelerating internet access and the awareness of internet access is a privilege that we want to spread far and wide. But then also of how do you actually recreate some of the, you know, the magic of live events in this new world. So it's really cool to hear that there is a resurgence that you're finding a groove in the new world. Yeah, people are people are having HR conferences on Eventbrite through Zoom, you know, doing breakout rooms, doing, you know, polls and stuff through Zoom, but also yeah, we, we we hosted our uh, I'm pretty sure we hosted our virtual conference with Eventbrite. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, wave of the future. It's um, a lot of ingenuity for the creators hosting events, you know, in this world that we're in. And, you know, some there are some places around the globe where they can meet safely, like in New Zealand and parts of Australia, and that's happening. And it's just kind of like these ebbs and flows around the globe where the virus is, is more contained versus less contained. Nonetheless, these creators are really ingenious in finding ways to get people together safely. I'm curious, like, you know, how's that impact been to your team, you know, your direct team and and the employees at Eventbrite? And how have you as a leader in HR had to adapt or shift your focus? Because I imagine, you know, amazing that you were able to restructure and pivot and meet the moment. But I imagine, you know, that's got to be very stressful being in an industry that's that's hit particularly hard. Yeah, it's interesting. Our team engagement, so that what we call BX, Brightling Experience, which is essentially HR and recruiting team, our engagement is is at an all-time high. So our engagement has just shot up like something like 20 points, you know, this year. And I I wonder how did that happen given all that we had to do and all this tough stuff. And, and our team, our team scaled back as well. You know, we lost people in our team. 
And I think that moment in Nashville was like a big moment to come together to be part of building up like what our mission was, which is, you know, to attract, engage, retain the diverse talent that we need in order to win, to fuel this mission, this mission of bringing the world together to live events. Mm. That was really helpful. It was oddly fortuitous that we were actually able to meet right before all this stuff. But I also just have an amazing leadership team. They're all just fantastic. So I think that we were touching on this before the call about being a human organization, yeah, um, leading with empathy and kindness. It's something I try to do just with my team around how I lead and what I talk to them about. Like, why are we here? What is like, what is this? Like, we're the heartbeat, right? So we're the heartbeat of this mission. This function that we have is a heartbeat and the mission is a very human one. And there's people who want to connect and we're at the center of that. So that mission-driven aspect of what we're trying to do in my team has been one thing I think that has helped keep us together, like really engaged, still like charging forward in in an aspirational way. And so I am curious, like have your priorities shifted from a year ago when you first joined and you thought, okay, these are going to be, you know, engage, you know, attract, engage, retain talent. What's different a year later in terms of the kind of OKRs you're setting, the kinds of projects you're rolling out? Well, I I wasn't thinking about the future of work before all this happened. And so we spent quite a bit of time wondering what the future is, gathering data, thinking about how we're going to reopen all that. A lot of HR teams are doing that very same thing. And we're leaning into this idea of employee flexibility and employee choice. There are teams out there that will say unilaterally, like these people can work remotely, these, these employees cannot. There are teams out there that are saying like the future of work is all remote. And like, we're not, I don't think we're at either ends of those spectrums. We're, we're saying that employee choice is, is key. Um, we let people go live anywhere they want to for three months to work to see if that works for them and then decide for yourself. But back to your question, what's changed? I think a big thing that's changed is leadership development. So we thought before the pandemic, hey, we're going to have to, we should roll out some leadership development program because I think, you know, the, the key to our culture and this convergence topic we were talking about earlier, it's going to hinge on our leaders. And so we were starting to think about that. And then the pandemic hit. And then we had to completely scrap all our ideas that we had and like build it from scratch in the middle of pandemic. And it wound up being even more important, realizing that in this pandemic, and this human organization that we're going to try and build, we're like, this is going to rest on leadership. You know, it's not, not resting on me. It's going to rest on our leadership. And we need all of our 150 plus leaders around the globe to all be fostering the experience that we want. And one of those things, one of the very first principles we teach in our leadership development program, we call it lead to win, is um, build empathy to build trust. And so like, this is one of the first concepts we talk about. We talk about knowing yourself first. Right. And it's kind of a little bit sort of like Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son, like, you know, hey, I want to learn karate. Wait, time out. Wax on, wax off first. This is the very first thing is you, you know yourself, your EQ. Um, Travis, Dr. Travis Bradbury shows that, like, as you ascend an organization, your EQ actually goes down. So we start there, your EQ. And then, you know, know your teams. And to do that, you have to build empathy to build trust. We have a question that we talk about, which is, how are you really doing? How are you really, really doing? And letting that linger for a moment in this human organization trying to build. So that's a long-winded way of saying in the middle of this pandemic, one, one big priority that's changed is the importance of leadership development and building that completely in a virtual format with Zoom and you know, sort of like hybrid ways of actually interacting in cohorts and all that sort of stuff. So that's just one. So I'm curious, has COVID accelerated the buy-in from the rest of the leadership team around the importance of compassionate, empathetic leadership? 
I, I think so. And I think and it helps that our CEO, Julia, is, is really leading with that mentality, humanness, compassion, and how she shows up to her team. Your question, um, has it changed or has it accelerated the buy-in of the human organization? I think so. I think so. But I think there's a lot of us still grokking what that means, right? What does it mean to be a human leader? And how do you foster inclusivity in your team? And, and what, what is the outcome of that? I think there's like, there's fair questions of like, hey, today we're on a bright break. So we're, we're, the whole company is taking the day off today. And I can, we'll speak a little bit more about this later. But why are we doing that? What's going to come of that, of giving one day off, one Friday per month for the next six months? What's, what's the outcome of that? And the counterintuitive things are around like productivity and, and like and results actually come with this new future of work that we're thinking about with more employee flexibility, more employee choice, more like empowerment to actually protect time rather than finding ways for people to work longer hours or more days. Or, you know, in the middle of pandemic, Bloomberg report said um, our average workday, all of our average workdays have increased by 48 minutes and we're having a lot more meetings. And so people are burning out, you know, and um, back to your question, has it accelerated? I think so, but people are kind of grokking this in their own ways and kind of coming to these realizations with their, in their own ways without me having to say it. And it's been an ongoing conversation. So we, we talked a little bit about the idea of cultural convergence before we started recording. And I'd love for you to just give us a kind of an, uh, a brief definition of what convergence means, you know, some of the sources that you've learned this from, and then how that applies in building great cultures and also where there wasn't convergence in that example. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a great article came out, I think it's almost two years ago, called The Culture Factor out of HBR. I think it's it's accessible online, the whole article. And in that article, they studied company cultures. The researchers, the authors studied these different company cultures, and they found that there was roughly eight different company cultures. And they kind of plotted them out on this um, XY axis. There's like learning organizations, results-driven organizations, empathy-driven organizations. And then they could figure out different types of companies, Disney, Tesla, Whole Foods, and, and plot them here. And then they looked at whether there was anything, any sort of correlation with the type of culture that you have and productivity, profits, all that sort of thing. And what they found was it wasn't the type of culture that you had that dictated anything around your productivity or profits or anything like that. What was important was convergence. The idea of if I ask an employee in finance in Australia or an engineer in Austin or take your pick, they're saying the same things about our company is, is like this. These are what our traits when we're at our best. These are behavioral traits. These are values, et cetera. Take your pick of the language. When they're saying the same things, despite the department, the level, the location, that that's convergence. When they're saying very different things, that's lack of convergence. Convergence leads to productivity, profit, customer satisfaction, lack of convergence is, leads to the opposite. And so that really, that struck me. It, it changed everything, how I thought about culture and the importance of it. I'll be honest that, you know, earlier in my career, I thought culture was just a soft word. I'm like, hey, don't get me in any room talking about culture because that's my, you know, sort of ticket to like lack of credibility. But now I, I'm just, I'm convinced that the CHRO has to be the chief convergence officer. And since then, at Niantic, my last company, where I, I kind of struggled with this, and then, and then now, where I think I'm, I'm you know, kind of learning some new ways to do this, I spend my time asking my team, asking the employees, asking the leaders, who are we? What are we, what are we like when we're our best? What are the traits for us as a culture and as an organization that are going to be key for us to win? Because you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, you know, the Peter Drucker quote. 
And my team is is convinced of this and leadership team are as well. And I'll, I'll say it's it's kind of tough though. It's kind of tough to get convergence. It's tough to sort of like, hey, let's like, can we just like write down the five things and then we'll be done? If only it were that easy. Right. Only coming up with our core values and a good mission statement and then you have <laughs> right. convergence. Yeah, because we, we had them. We had five. We had five values and no one remembered them. They were designed before the pandemic. They were designed with a very different company in mind and they were fine, but they didn't guide us. We didn't take them in a way that's sort of like, hey, we can actually build leadership development programs around these. We can like, we can sort of like, you know, have performance and feedback conversations around these. We can, we weren't doing that. And so that was key. But to get there, you have to have these convergence. So a couple of traits for us that are important behavioral traits that we're realizing now that are like, hey, this is really important for how we're going to win. They include impact over activity as a startup that try to do a lot of things by doing too many things we we like we didn't do anything great we were fascinated with activity you know like we were we were fascinated with just doing a lots of stuff and being like wow we're we're furious we're running around you know in the hallways and doing lots of stuff and then wow we didn't have any impact and so here's one important trait that we're realizing that we're that we're talking about and we're talking about with employees and it seems like it's resonating is impact over activity mm. And so that's one in this convergence that the CFO loves, the CEO loves, the employees love, man, like, yes, like that's, there's this eureka moment where it's like, hey, we got one, put it on the scoreboard. We got one here, let's keep building. Like, and it takes a while though. It takes a while to like find these. Let's just stick with this as an example because I think it's really interesting, right? Because the easy part is coming up with the phrasing and coming up with the concept, the idea of the value. Then getting actual convergence where people align their bodies, hearts, minds, and spirits with that value so that they're actually living it. And it's not just this thing comes from top down. Walk us through a little bit around how you think about getting people to buy in, own that, and so that they actually start to operate by that principle. Well, I think for the average employee at any company, it's like, what's in this for me? How does this help me? And how does this like fire me up? And so as a, an organization that tries to learn, we have to talk about and acknowledge when things don't go well. And we have to try and deduce whether it's a project, a team that just like we finished this project and it was it was a failure or we just we ended the quarter and we look back and like, what did we actually accomplish? Like, wow, we just we did a lot. But now all these things are spilling into the next quarter for the employees. I think there's a realization that like, you know, my work life balance sucks. If I have a lot of activity and I'm doing a lot of things and I don't accomplish them, then it's even worse because then I feel like, wow, doing all this stuff. And like, we're like not, you know, racking up the score at the end of the quarter. Like we're, we're going to have to continue doing these things, whether it's the engineering team and they weren't able to ship something or my team that like got some other thing in the way. And we're like, oh, we got to do that too. Yep, that too. And so through postmortems, it says one or even pre-mortems, through post-mortems, we realize there's something here that's holding us back. And it's actually causing work-life balance issues. It's causing frustration. And it's causing people to want to leave at times. That becomes then this aha moment that for employees, like, yes, if we do this, if we, if we have more impact, more impact and less activity, frankly, activity for like fewer things and do them better, then that is a ticket for us to be a better team. That's a ticket for me to actually have more control in my life. I'm more in control now. And you have to talk through those things and talk through then, hey, this, this should be part of how we set our initiatives, our tactics, and our goal planning. 
that then is like a, a rallying cry almost for employees as they're going through these processes. Like, yes, this is what we have to do. But it comes from learning. It comes from doing postmortems of why this thing was important upon reflection of some failure, potentially. I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss, and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high-performing teams, there's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free Best Self Management Certification at 15.5.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. Visit 15.5.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 15.5.com today. So competencies is a really interesting thing. So we've been orienting a lot of our platform and product around competencies. You know, we're making measuring competencies one of the central pillars of our performance review process. And so I'm curious for you, when you take a principle of value like impact over activity, are there specific competencies that you're then creating and developing, training, growing people on inside of that value? Yeah. Uh, I think so. And there's functional competencies and there's behavioral competencies. Right. I'll go back to the lead to win program and what are the principles? What are the principles there? I talked about, you know, building empathy to build trust, but then there's, there's also ultimately this has got to have results. This actually has to lead to something. And so in that, one of the leadership competencies is, you know, to actually make it happen to have results set ambitious goals with a clear path to achieve them. So that's one of our nine one of our nine leadership principles. They also include making tough decisions, prioritizing and focus for impact over activity. So it's right there in the leadership development program as a competency. And these things that we do, whether it's you know building up to build trust, like that sounds good. That sounds part of the human organization, but it's got to lead to results. You know, this this isn't just to be like a touchy-feely, like nice place to be. It's, it's actually to be high-performing. And so we, we connect those dots from a competency point of view with our leadership directly in that program. But I also think it, it comes into competencies for every, for every function, for engineers, for product managers, not just the leaders. I love that this is the direction that, you know, it feels like the most progressive leaders are going in because, you know, the one thing I, I used to do uh, consulting for for a lot of different CEOs and their leadership teams, and I'd help them clarify their their values and their purpose and their long term objectives. And it was more often than not the actual lived culture was divergent from the stated values. And I think to, to your point, you said you had five values at one point, nobody knew them. Like if they're just written down on a wall or a website, they're not lived. And then, like, how do you actually bring them alive and keep them real? And I think mapping the value to specific competencies and reinforcing that and training on that and then measuring it is the way that we kind of map the ideal to the, the lived experience. And, you know, I've been taking some notes on, on some of the specific ones you have because they're great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll shout out one leader I worked with who was just amazing at this. Dick Costolo, the CEO of Twitter. Oh, yeah. Really, like, lived the values, talked about them, and would tell a story. So, you know, I still remember a lot of our values, um, seek diverse opinions, defend and respect the user's voice. He would talk about these as a story. 
It's like, I want to talk about seek diverse opinions. I want or de- defend and respect the user's voice. And let's talk about the legal team and a big win the legal team had this week around protecting users' privacy. And, and would tell a story so that storytelling is really, really powerful, not just for me, but like for the CEO, you know, for the CEO to say, hey, here's a story about how one of our values showed up. And I want to give a shout out to the legal team. He would do this all the time. And so it's one reason why I think a lot of former tweets still remember the values to this day is just because how good a job he did with storytelling. Yeah, I feel like culture really is just story, you know? And so if we want to build strong culture, we need to tell strong stories. And that that's just this constant weaving process. One of the other things I was thinking about when you were talking is that convergence isn't something that you do once and then you're good. Yeah. You know, it is a every single day, the convergence you had yesterday is gone. And are you going to renew it? Are you going to revive the convergence in the company today, this moment? And on one hand, that's kind of exhausting, right? Building strong cultures, uh, leading because it's an ever ongoing, it's an endless mountain that we have to climb. And yet, if we let up, there's only one way it's going to coast. Yeah, absolutely. It's one reason why oftentimes some training gets a bad rap, whether it's leadership, you know, development training or unconscious bias training. The idea of like, if you just do this one training, people will no longer have unconscious bias, right? Solve. We fixed racism in our company because we had one DEI training. Okay, now let's get back to work. Yeah, check that box. You got to keep hitting people different ways. It's got to be, it's got to be an iterative. And so like, our leadership development, when they're done with their first cohort, you're going to have a, a next wave. And then like, it's got to be a continued process. It can't just be like, well, congrats, you 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 graduated and now you're done. Now there's got to be like, you know, wave two or chapter two. What next? How do we, how do we continue to build these concepts? But you got to keep hitting people in different ways to get that convergence of your culture or change some behavior through the leadership development training or unconscious bias training or whatever. It's nice to hear that Eventbrite has incorporated corporal punishment back, you know, like yes, just yes. to hit them, just to keep hitting them. Um, that's how you train your people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Big believer in that. I hope that quote doesn't show yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So one of the things that we've been hearing from a lot of guests, we actually had the CHRO of Twitter on a little while ago. Uh, you know, the leaders of Okta, some other really great companies that are all saying the same thing, which is mental health and well-being has leapfrogged as a priority and importance of the CHRO, CPOs out there, to start factoring that into the equation like it never has before. Yeah. I'm yeah. curious, do you agree with that? Are you seeing that happen? How are you supporting the mental and emotional well-being of the, what do you call them? Uh, Brightlings. Brightlings. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You know, before the pandemic, I could sort of cite all sorts of different data that would make this really stark, but essentially a mental health crisis in society, particularly for millennials, and um, the generation entering the workforce now, college graduates today have a 3x suicide rate that of college graduates in the 50s. Oh my God. One, one in five or one in four adults experiences mental illness in the year. And this is growing. So it was growing before the pandemic. And now in the pandemic, there's been a three to four X increase in incidents of anxiety and depression among working adults since the pandemic. And so it was a crisis already, it's now compounding. And it affects it affects people all over the place. And for the workforce, obviously, 
there's all sorts of good reasons for why you should be worried about this as a CEO or CHRO because of work disrupting anxiety and depression. And what does that do to your, to your culture, to your really talented employees who, if not for this, could be you know, a lot more effective with their job, if not for struggling with this thing. And so for me, I saw this definitely at Niantic. I saw it. I saw really talented engineers, entrepreneurs, you know, take your pick at all levels, struggling with it. And then we adopted a, this program um, called Spring Health. And I'll, I'll talk about Modern Health as another one. That when you look at it, this is on-demand therapy and coaching. The engagement rate is like 30%, which is like huge. Meaning like 30% of the company are using this thing, which is for a very niche thing. If you would think about it, it's like this, this is for your mental health. It, that would seem somewhat niche, but 30% are using it. And then they're getting on-demand therapy. And so for us, it's been really crucial for, for a couple of different reasons. One of them was the impetus for Eventbrite's mental um, health journey was that one of our events, the Gilroy Garlic Festival that we staffed, had a shooting at the at the festival. And we saw this firsthand, mental health, like people were struggling afterwards. You know, like we need something. We realized, wow, we really need a solution. And so we adopted that. And now mental health for me, I think it's one of like the top three important trends for a CHRO to really to lead on. And for us, we have talked about mental health to try and destigmatize it. So I think mental health has a stigma. And the more that leaders talk about this openly, talk about like, I struggle with anxiety and depression and, and have forums, then you see that it becomes like normal. It's like, it's okay to not be okay is something we talk about at Eventbrite. So today on this day that we're talking, we're, we're on what's called a bright break. So we launched a program earlier this week for one Friday a month, the next six months. We're just going to take the time off to recharge, take care of our mental health, our mental well-being, encouraging people to check out Modern Health or Headspace or take your pick of programs to take care of yourself. Because it's happening in the pandemic right now, even worse. People are burning out. They're worried. This is the election week. Anxiety and tensions running high. And we're not immune to that. But I think if you're in a live events industry, you know, and you're, our creators or employees, there's lots to be stressed about. And so mental health is a central concept for us around the future of work. So great. Do you think this is uh, something that's going to continue on post-pandemic? Do you think that we've heard this trend, uh, not just from you, but other leaders? And, and my hope is that you know, we continue to lean into this into the future, that this is kind of a bit of a wake-up call and an acceleration of you know, a more human organization. But I'm curious what your perspective is on that. I think so. And I'm not an expert at like why this is happening, but my understanding is with things like the the way social media works and, and the way the news works now with it's like, it's not on a newspaper. It's not on like the evening news that you turn on for 30 minutes. It's just that we're inundated with it. And so the workforce right now, people in college, people in college and people in, in, in high school students are having to struggle with something that I never struggled with when I was in high school, which is social comparison. Instagram and LinkedIn and all these reasons for me to sort of like feel like I'm a failure is something that is really worrisome. And so is it is this going to be there after the pandemic? Is mental health going to still be a priority? Is it going to be something that we should be like really focusing on? And I say absolutely, because those things, those things don't seem like they're going away. Social media, the way the news works. And I want to be clear, I, you know, my hope is that we find some way as a society to make the necessary shifts and changes so the, the root problem isn't there. And simultaneously, my hope is that companies really realize that the emotional and psychological well-being of their people, regardless of those underlying things, should be a concern uh, for them to, to own. 
So kind of a tough question, but how do you actually in reality balance supporting people who are struggling with mental health with performance, with results? Because again, it's easy to take a single perspective, right? It's easier to just say, hey, look, we're going to be in more relational and we're going to give a lot of allowance to people that are struggling and we're not going to be measuring people on the same performance metrics. Or it's easier to say, look, we're a results-oriented performance culture and we don't really care if you don't feel good. You're not hitting your numbers. You're not producing. You're out of here. So it's much harder to synthesize those two things. You know, we're like humans, we have two, we have two eyes and two hemispheres of the brain. And it's so uncomfortable being both of those things. So we usually just pick one side. Yeah. How are you striving to integrate both of those? Well, I think there's this interesting thing that Kim Scott coined um, ruinous empathy, which startups struggle with all the time because you got green managers, you got first time founders, you got you got a culture of like, you know, yeah, things are great. You're great. And like, hey, we got to fire that person. And <laughs> raise your hand if you've ever done that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a it's real. You mentioned kindness before. And I think I think one of the reasons people think that kindness is counter to high performance is they're conflating kindness with being nice. Totally. Which I think relates to Bruno's empathy. Totally. And those are just yeah. different things. That's right. That's right. Hey, if I got to tell someone some like fatal flaw they have, that's going to be not kind. So kindness doesn't work for us because that would get in the way of me telling you the truth. Telling you the truth is kindness. Like, hey, David, let's chat. Like that meeting just now, we got to talk. You know, the way that you're communicating with that team, it's just like it, it's going to hold you back in your career. It's going to hold you back now. You know, some of the, the most important moments in my career was when someone had the courage to tell me something that was like a weakness. Right. And like, I'll never forget it. Like it can be tough in the moment you run through your Sarah cycle of sad, angry, rejection, acceptance, happy. But those moments where someone was like, Hey, I got I got to tell you this thing. Um, it's like gulp, you know, but it was because they cared. It was because like, Hey, I'm, I'm telling you this because I believe in you you got to get this communication style under control. Like you got to, you got to find ways to collaborate more effectively. And like, let me give you an example. And there's all sorts of reasons why humans don't do that. Why managers don't tell people the truth because it's hard. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is going to keep me up at night. I got this tough conversation with David tomorrow. Or because I know this person's already struggling. They have kids at home. Their kids are beating down their door and bugging them and their spouse lost their job. So, Oh, I can't, lay another heavy brick on their shoulders right now. Yeah, that's right. And so your question, how do you have performance? How do you, how do you like drive high performance and balance mental health when like people are struggling? So if they're struggling with their mental health, how do you have a performance conversation amidst that? Maybe the mental health is like part of the performance, you know, like maybe performance is not going well because there's anxiety. They're dealing with this anxiety about having to juggle too much. And so, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, but like, hey, I got to have a performance conversation with this person. I'm going to start with, hey, how are you really doing? How are you really, really doing? And talk about this. What's up? What are you struggling with? And like, well, childcare bailed on me this week. You know, wife is sick. I'm like, you know, mom passed away. I'm still struggling with that. And like all of this stuff. Talking about that and like treating someone as, as a full human, as opposed to like, I got I to gotta skip past this and just get to the performance conversation is your pathway. That is your pathway for performance, for like getting, like unlocking people's potential is to deal with that stuff. The truth shall set you free. Yeah, that's right. And that empathy, you know? You know, and and we're like, we're not that far removed from 
the days when mental health was stigmatized. You don't talk about that at work. You know, like, hey, oh, you have a therapist? Wow, what's wrong with you? Yeah, time out. I'm supposed to talk about this with you. You know, call the EAP hotline. And that's just not true anymore. Like, you got to have mental health conversations. And a typical refrain I get from people is like, hey, isn't that like HIPAA? You know, like, you can't talk about that. Isn't that private? And like, sure, of course. You know, like, what's, what's your diagnosis? You don't, you don't ask those questions, but how are you really, really doing is a question that will touch on that person's mental health and will be up for them to share. They might choose to share. They might not want to share. But if they want to share, like, sit in that moment. You know, like I was on a panel with another leader who said like, hey, I'm a clinical psychiatrist by background and I just happen to be a CHRO now. And like, I will tell you, you cannot have managers do that. And then another, another CHRO said, I agree. Like our managers should not be doctors, but they should be ready to talk about mental health and listen, right? I'm not going to be your doctor. I'm not going to be your therapist, but I'm going to listen to you and training your managers how to do that, how to do that comfortably, how to deal with tough stuff. And, and how to get people help, right? Because like, if someone needs help, how do you get them help? That's an important trait a manager should know. Well, and it's so interesting because I think that it used to be a little more acceptable of like, oh, I'm having mental health stuff. I need to talk to HR. But now it's actually, it is part of the manager's responsibility to dig in, to understand how are you really, really doing so that I can support you in unblocking. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I remembered a conversation I had with some students earlier this week. I was on a panel and they asked me a question like, hey, what, what's the skill that we're going to need to learn for the future? And the first topic that came to mind is, is you know, your mental health. Like, that's what I want you. I want you to understand how to set your boundaries. I want you to understand, you know, how to take care of yourself. I want you to understand how to sort of have your, like, your flexibility and your choice and, like, have control of your mental health. That's a skill that I think you all need to learn. So... Yeah, in all different ways, like this is a core part of how we build a really high performing organization in the future. And I think it's also it's it's an inspirational thing for HR organizations to like really wrap their head around. Where do you source optimism? Where do I source optimism? Um, Well, every report about a vaccine that I see every day (laughs) is, is, is like, hey, look at that. Look at that. You know, so but where do I source optimism? I'm just naturally optimistic. I believe in what we're doing. I really believe in the job. I, like, I'm inspired to do this job. And I'm also inspired by like working with really great people. So I have, I have a direct report, uh, Tanya, who's just like my rock. And I source optimism by seeing others get really fired up about their job as well. Um, and that just makes me incredibly optimistic. Okay. One more question. So Every week we're asking different questions inside of our own platform, 15.5. And so I'm always looking at, okay, what are the questions that are going to unlock the next level for our company, for people? And I do already have one question from you, which is, how are you really, really doing? And I'm wondering, do you have any other questions that you think we should ask our people or that people leaders should be asking their team on occasion? Yeah. How am I really, really doing? Um, This week is fraught with tension, so fraught with anxiety for all sorts of different ways, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. So today, um, this moment that we're in is really fun and is energizing. There's a question or an exercise that I'll leave you all with uh, from a former boss, Jen Dulski. Her exercise was the motivational pie chart. And the question is, 
what motivates you. And on the, on the pie chart, you have an empty pie and I could put down 40% is like work-life balance. 10% is like my manager relationship. X percent is pay, whatever. And then red, yellow, green, how all those motivators are getting met. Every time I've done this exercise is fascinating because I'm always surprised. Wow, this is a lot of red and yellow on this pie chart. And this one thing is 40%. I, I never knew that before. And like, let's talk about why it's red. What's getting in the way? Let's, how can we move this from red to yellow to green? It's always fascinating. It's essentially your engagement survey at the individual level for each of your team members. And it's a huge unlock because what motivates us is what drives our high performance. Yes. When we're highly motivated, you know, and whether that's extrinsically or intrinsically motivated, when we're highly motivated, we're going to perform really well. And you can be surprised by people who you think are like, hey, I, th- I thought you're doing well, but this is all red and yellow. That person's holding back. You know, you think that person's really good at what they do, but they're red and yellow. They're holding back. They're holding back discretionary output and ideas and innovation. And nonetheless, doing well in your eyes, but not doing well for in their eyes. They can do a lot better. And going through that exercise and going through that simple question, spending an hour with your direct reports on this is always fascinating to me. And this is an exercise you can find online. It's like, it's so fascinating. And it's been so helpful for me every time I've done it. I'm getting uh, private messages from uh, both our producer and David here of like, oh, that's uh, the next feature in the product to build. I was like, I love um, this. I could see this in our product. Yeah. 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 Well, and I great. think that, that it's so genius. It's so great because it's about uncovering unmet needs and actually fulfilling our needs, understanding our motivators, and then fulfilling our needs as human beings is the path to high performance and results. Yeah. And what a beautiful vision of work where that's the environment we create. We create those conditions to have our deepest needs met. And that is where we can then do the best work of our lives. And it's a discovery process. You have no idea what's going on. I have a similar question I, I, used, I still do ask is I have you know my direct reports list out what are the things that energize them versus what are the things that suck their energy away. And like from the outside, someone may look like they're doing an incredible job at everything and half of the things they're focused on are draining them of energy. And so like this, I feel like this maps amazingly well to that on the motivational side. So yeah. thanks for that. Very cool. Totally. Well, David, we're out of time. Huge thank you to you. Great work you're doing. It's so exciting to think about the the pent-up demand for live events that is coming down yeah. the pipeline. Yep. And so thanks for the great work you're doing. Thanks for the great company, your love, your compassion, and being a brightling in this world right now. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed the conversation. Really glad you had me here today and, and uh, really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Are you are you putting out any of these thoughts? Are you sharing these things uh, on any networks? I do. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably where I'm most uh, posting things. I'll post an article or just a post every once in a while. So yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I've really found LinkedIn is the one social network that I don't feel horrible after spending time on. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's really I'm weird. Not. It's like it, it blows my mind that I spend way more time on LinkedIn than on Facebook now. I'm like, who am I? You know, <laughs> like, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. It is infinitely a more uplifting experience. I agree. I agree. I found that, that that's one social media that I found actually helpful. That's really great. All right, All right. Thank you so much, David. Great to be with you today. Thanks, guys. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative. To our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. 
One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.